For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to episode six of Cow Corner. We're here to review the England-Pakistan test series. I'm here with Glenn, as always. Glenn, how are you? Yeah, pretty good, thank you, Dan. Looking forward to this one. And as we were in episode five, we have a special guest. It's not Will this time. Our London correspondent has retired. Zach Harwood, you are our northern correspondent. You just told me you can see Headingley from your window. That's excellent. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for coming. We're going to get stuck into what has been an excellent test series with narratives coming all out of it. Uh, there was no podcast for the second test. Um, me and Glenn decided pretty early on. I think it was maybe day four. We were like, mm, I don't think we're going to get much out of this. Uh, so we missed that one. Uh, it was a drawn test match, uh, unsurprisingly, with the quantity of weather around. Pakistan were 236 all out. England made 110 for four. As our, as our Ali Boulder Jaffa and Joss Butler scored no runs. So that's the end of that test match. We'll, we'll maybe come to that as and when. Let's talk mostly about the third and final test match, though. Um, plenty to come out of that, even though the match was again drawn. England's 583 for eight declared. Uh, was something special, really. Uh, I'm looking forward to chatting about this. Zach Crawley's 267 and Joss Butler's 152 breaking records. Um, and... Perhaps shocking us, we'll come into that a little bit. No, a few contributions here and there. Chris Wokes, obviously, this is the Chris Wokes podcast. His 40 uh, was the next best score. Pakistan bowled out for 273. Uh, Jimmy Anderson taking Pfeiffer and his 600th test wicket in this match. 141 from Azar Ali, uh, an excellent knock from the captain after what had been a quiet series. And a useful 53 from Rizwan, who I think really shone for Pakistan this tour uh they were then forced to follow on and made 187 for uh anderson getting two uh, the wicket of azar ali was his 600 test wicket um on what felt like a day just made for jimmy anderson just to get that wicket uh babar finished 63 not out as the game sort of petered into a draw as the weather took over once again so dominated by rain glenn but so much great cricket uh, what stood out for you in this test match um, yeah, great summary there, Dan. Thank you. I think it's got to be Crawley's innings. I mean, that 267 was majestic. Uh, came out of nowhere in a way. We haven't had a huge score from an England batsman in, in quite a while. And it was just the fluency of it. Like, honestly, when he when he went past 250, I think a lot of us expected him to reach that 300 mark, which would have been really extraordinary. But as it was, it was still by far the knock of the summer. Um, I think he showed composure. He showed maturity. And I, w- I, along with every England fan, was really impressed. The other thing, especially in batting, that I think we all um, took note of was Butler's resurgence. It's been lovely to have him back, playing confident, playing his own way. You know, 152. You know, if Crawley hadn't got that giant score, we'd all be talking about Butler getting that 152. So, yeah, I think the batting, there was loads to shout about. We had some, we've got quality all down the 
all down the 11. Although I think a point we can come on to later would be the opening two. It was a very difficult series for, for Burns especially. Um, so that was disappointing for him. And yeah, the bowling, as we can come on to, was pretty much business as usual. It's, it's, it's Anderson and Broad bowling very well in English conditions. So how much we've learned from this test, I think, is going to be a key talking point for the rest of this uh, podcast. Definitely. Um, you know, what the future might hold is a big thing. Zach, what did you take from this? You know, what were your highlights and, and lowlights from England and Pakistan for this test match? Well, I think it was I think it was really uh, well, like Glenn said, the, the Zach Crawley innings is, of course, the one that's going to stand out. But for me, I think I think the Josh Butler innings was so important because he's like, like we said, he's been coming coming into form and he's needed that second test century. because He's only got one test century to his name. And that's kind of been something that I feel like some commentators have held against him that in his I think it's about 50 tests now. He's only got one test century. So I think that was really important. I think the Azarali innings, I mean, I'm sure we'll come on to this, could have potentially saved his captaincy as well. It was a, it was a captain's innings that was needed uh, in that time. It was so vital. Definitely. We'll come on to Pakistan. So I think let's start with the Crawley-Butler uh, Butler partnership, both of their innings. Let's start with Zach Crawley. For me, he, you know, especially following Sibley and Burns, who are some, somewhat neurotic with their batting techniques, Crawley just looks so easy on the eye. He has barely any trigger movements. He's still at the crease. He's quite a tall bloke. Um, and he just makes batting look so good. And Glenn, I don't know if you're shocked by this, but I'm shocked by his, the rate of his scoring. He's, he's not, because he's not busy at the crease to the eye. You, you think maybe his scoring would be a bit slower, but, you know, his strike rate's really quite good at this level um and he makes scoring look pretty easy yeah i I think you're spot on that he's a very natural um stroke maker i think he's really as you mentioned great to watch and i think you can just probably contrast him with with denley and i think he's become the cricketer we wanted denley to be when he was batting which is to come in play those shots look very smooth and once he got into his rhythm, I mean, some of those cover drives were absolutely glorious. Um, and there was footwork. You know, he, he was very quick to get to the pitch of the ball. He didn't seem to show a huge amount of weaknesses. You know, obviously, uh, Pakistan rotated their bowlers in a desperate, you know, way to try and get him out. But he just seemed very assured. And especially for his age. I mean, he's 22 years old. Um, he's younger than, I think, all three of us, which is a bit sad. Um, um. I, <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said that. Um <laughs> And, and he's a tall guy, isn't he? You know, he's six foot five and he really dominates that crease. So it actually gives gives bowlers um, a lot to a lot to think about. You know, it's not often that batsmen in, in test cricket are quite that tall. You know, we're much more around the six foot one kind of um, range around there. So he looks slightly different, but he doesn't look gangly or unnatural. He's just really just operates smooth. It's just a word that comes to mind. And I just loved watching that innings. Yeah, I think I'll agree. And then I find he's so good with the short deliveries that the bowlers aren't bothering there, uh, which meant on a pretty on a pretty flat wicket, you know, he could deal with with everything that was, um, you know, pitched up to him. Um, Zach, if you want to talk about Crawley and then I think you mentioned how strong Butler's innings was and how this would have been the headline if, if not for such a big score from Crawley. How big do you think that was for his career? Because for me, I think he'd not saved it, but he'd pretty much locked it in in the previous, uh, in the first test with those, those two knocks. Uh, he won one of the match, but, you know, how big was this 150 to get that 100 and a, and a big 100 at that? Yeah, I mean, go like, first of all, going back to the Crawley innings, I think one like one of the things that's been talked about a lot is his intent. And like like you said, like he's so he can be so positive. Like he hit a four off his first ball. Mm-hmm. Like just because the leg stump, leg stump half volley was there, 
and you have to put those balls away if they're there. But yeah, moving on to Butler's innings, I thought it was. I mean, there's been a lot. There's a lot of talk about Butler struggling, and he does, and but everyone wanting him to play this one day Butler that we all know and love. But it, it, him playing like this, it was such a different innings, and it was such a nice refresher to sh- for him to show everyone what he can do. He was really, I think Crawley was the same actually. Crawley went through. I think he got to 45 off like I don't know 55 deliveries, let's say. And then I think Shaheen was bowling. And he was just dangling it outside off stump, waiting for him to go. Wanted to try and get to his 50. And Corey just said, "No, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna sit here and wait." And I think he hit a really nice cover drive off the last ball before lunch to get to 50. So Corley's innings kind of ebbed and flowed, but in a way that he he knew when to time it. And interestingly, Butler's I don't think for me he didn't do that, not in a bad way, in a way that he just stuck to his guns and he went, "Right, I'm doing this. This is a proper test knock, a traditional test knock, if you will." And I'm not going to go into one-day mode when I've got my 100. I'm going to just sit here and bat. And he was sort of the anchor for the rest of that innings, uh, which I found really interesting. Yeah, I agree. I think there's some really good points there. You know, we, we've kind of all wanted this, as Zach said, this, this, this more mature Josh that can play a test innings and you know he got his average from the from the um from the pakistan series is 88 so he's shown as you said with a match winning innings um at manchester and then 152 in his final innings of the summer in test format so really he had a lot going for it and he showed he could be a match winner and he also showed that he could have a bit of patience at the crease um just as we're on the topic of him i would like to just ask you both what you thought of his keeping because there were a lot of issues um, over the summer then he took that world-class catch off broads bowling and i don't know if you saw on the highlights or live that um broadie was shouting that he couldn't believe how good a catch that was just afterwards which is one of those the small one of the few benefits of having no fans is it's always nice to hear more from the players um so there were moments of brilliance but they're also really really sloppy moments so do we still think he's very secure in the gloves role zach what do you think about that oh, i i mean it, nothing annoyed me more than seeing him drop that catch off Jimmy Anderson after mm-hmm. it was it was just the most frustrating thing because him taking that catch um because I'm very pro Butler and him taking that catch off broad kind of for me was was like I mean it was a refreshing moment it was like oh okay he's he's proving here that he's a good wicketkeeper and then he goes and drops a ve- like a very simple catch Mm-hmm. A very simple catch. It was simpler than either of the slip catches. Well, either of the slip catches, maybe not simpler than Broad, Broad's catch the day before, <laughs> but I'm sure, I'm sure we'll come on to that. <laughs> but yeah, I do think that as a wicketkeeper, he has assured himself, but there is still there is still lots of doubts in there. I think I think I'm on board with that. I, I don't think there's a better wicketkeeper, like an obviously better wicketkeeper with the gloves. And the slip cat, uh, the, sorry, the catch he caught off off Bess, which was sort of the exact carbon mm. copy of the one he dropped uh, before his important innings in the first Test match. I'd argue the one he took in the third Test match was was a bit harder, and he, he got set really nicely. So yeah, I think he's assured himself with the gloves. The one he dropped off Jimmy, I don't know how he missed that. Did it wobble? The classic, you know, ball wobbling in England. I, I think he's been so assured. I think England just caught a bit of a bug uh, in this match with their catching and everyone was thinking about Anderson's 600th wicket. But yeah, for me, he's assured with the gloves. I don't think there's anyone that's, you know, outstandingly better than him. So I know I poo-pooed him in the first test um, of the summer against the West Indies. And I think that's probably why he's performed so well. Thanks for listening, Joss. Um, (laughs) So good for him. And yeah, long live Joss Butler. Um, yes, I think I think you're both um, you're both very spot on there. Should we should we just look at the openers real quick? Because I think the middle order is really solid. 
And I'm a little bit worried about Rory Burns. Um, so Wisden, in their very good um, you know, summary, marks out of 10 of the series of Pakistan, gave them a 1 out of 10, which is pretty Ooh. brutal, but potentially fair enough. So in the Pakistan series, he only got 20 runs, he averaged 5, and his high score was only 10. And I think the problem is with him, as we may have mentioned on a previous podcast, is that he's been found out. Um, so Shaheen Afridi got him out three times. And as Wisden said, sometimes his wicket just felt inevitable. Like we just didn't sense a really big knock coming from him. I'm a massive fan of Rory Burns, and I've been really impressed with his um, with his batting before this series, especially last summer. I, I'm not saying we should drop him or anything like that, but would you agree? Maybe just kind of Zach first. Do you think that his technique has been potentially found out by opposition? And if so, is he going to have to work over the winter before these tests against Sri Lanka and India? I think I think it's going to be really interesting to see the development of Rory Burns and what happens between now and then and what happens in the winter because, like you said, Shaheen Afridi found almost right had his number this this series. Absolutely. But then also in the last series, Roston Chase. It seemed like Roston Chase got him out every other ball. I mean, it's what it seemed <laughs> yeah. like. And it also it also seemed there was a couple of times where he started to build and he gave his wicket away so cheaply. So I think it's re- it's going to be really interesting. I think potentially he has been found out, and it will be a really testing winter for him. For someone who you know both of the both of the um, openers have shown their struggles against spin, so mm-hmm. this winter is going to be a really big test for both of them. Was it was it the West Indies series just gone that he was maybe on thirty or at least had a start and then just like sort of chip one to backward point off of Chase? Yeah. So I think that's what. I, I totally agree with that. Even the times he did get a couple starts, I think he did get back to about 50s in the West Indies series, but they were, you know, 55, 60, you know, not a big knock. He was giving it away. And then I remember when he first came on the, on the, for the England team, I'd never seen him play for, for Surrey. And this technique that he's got with all the back wiggling and his pointing his dominant eye toward the bowler, I think immediately people commentators were saying this could get found out because look at it, there's so many moving parts, something's going to go wrong. And I think that's what's ultimately happened. Um, I think England are in him for the long haul. I think I am. Him and Sibley, you know, this is maybe just a a poor bit of form for him. A, a bowler who had um, was all over him, and he's still going to be there. I think his his issue against spins an interesting one, especially with Sri Lanka and India coming up. So mm-hmm. hopefully he can bounce back because I, I think he's got a long career ahead of him. Yeah, I would agree. Just coming to Sibley real briefly. Um, so he didn't pass fifty either unfortunately, in the series. But he did look a little bit more solid. I think it's fair to say he did see off the new ball with a bit more confidence than Burns. Um, what do we think about him? Like a high score, 36, you know, not huge, but, you know, did help see off the new ball in certain scenarios. Just, Dan, do you think we are just going to stick with this yeah. um, Rory Dom duo? Yeah, I'm all in on Sibley. Um, I just like the way he blocks. I like watching him back. <laughs> I know it's boring, but I really like it. And I think these 30s, 30-somethings off 100 balls are so useful. Like you said, they they get rid of the new ball. And, you know, Root and Crawley, who, who's probably locked himself in at three, can can come in a little bit easier. I think we might get a bit... Joe. I'm, we're going to bring up Joe Denley again. Um, because he, <laughs> he did that so sufficiently um, at number three for, you know, 18 months or so. And he'd get his 25 off 100. And people were like, you know what, this isn't too bad because... You know, at least it's not Gary Balance nicking off for nothing and we're 30 for three again. Um, but then the big score didn't come and people were starting to think, right, is his time up? I'm a bit worried that might happen with Sibley. And I know he's got um, a big ton in South Africa and the big one um, this series, uh, this summer as well. 
So he's, he's doing fine for now. But I'm worried if he keeps getting these niggly 30s, people might get a little bit tired of it and, and maybe want something new. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. I mean, Sibley, like you say, I, th- I think we are, we're kind of feeling nice. We're, we're enjoying this, uh, an opener actually lasting a while. After watching yeah. Jason Roy in the Ashes last <laughs> year, I feel like England fans are just kind of <laughs> happy to see an opener who is there at midday on day one. <laughs> I totally agree. Jason Roy's hard hands and just that gap between bat and pad has finally been locked up by Sibley's soft hands and his sort of weird wiggle at the crease. I, I'm a big fan. I think I think they're going to stick with them for a while simply because I can't think of anybody else. I don't know if you two can. Keaton Jennings got 100 in the blast today, um, which is interesting. Uh, yesterday, which is interesting. But test openers, anyone coming from County that you'd actually put in ahead of Sibley and Burns? No, I, I mean, the thing is, is this is the thing. No one's really scoring runs in the County game at the moment consistently. The person who, like, he's the only person who passed a thousand runs last summer. And that was, at one point, almost the benchmark. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's, it's something to do, it, um, there's lots to do with the pitches and how it's not good for batting. But if he's the only person doing it, there, there aren't other people knocking on the door consistently I think Dan Lawrence but he's not an opener is mm-hmm. is supposedly next in line obviously as a Somerset fan I think Tom Abel is class but really? again doesn't do his best <laughs> at opening but has opened in the past quick curveball on the openers then Crawley's only come into the team every time through injury uh, as opposed to his own merit which I think will now have to obviously change um, or with Stokes going away this time to bring Stokes back into this team and with Crawley's flexibility in the batting order, he has opened already in South Africa. He's got a 50. Could he perhaps open that allows one of the openers to drop out and Stokes to come back in? Do you like that or do you prefer Crawley at three? Glenn, you know, this is a bit just out there. I don't know. Um, it's a good question. It's hard to know. Um, I mean, the fact that he got such a huge such a huge score at number three makes me kind of instinctively want to keep him there right but I think you make a really good point with um, we have we have two points here we have Stokes coming back into the team but as you both probably saw it was also announced today that Ollie Pope is out for about three to four months with an with his dislocated shoulder and it's going to need surgery mm. so if you take Pope out of that team and I know we will probably do this again towards the end of the podcast you know picking the team for the for the away tours uh, if, it feels a bit more comfortable if you're just taking Pope out, putting Stokes back in. Hopefully Stokes can bowl, bowl, right? And in that sense, it just for me, it just seems to be clearer to keep that top oars as it is, to keep the burn sibley Crawley root. Um, what does also worry me, um, to be honest, is Root's batting. Again, he struggled this series. Um, his average was 31, only a high score of 42. And it's actually the first time since 2013 that he's completed a series without actually getting a half century. So um, thank you to Wisdom for that stat. That was not Huge me digging. Stat. It's, a, oh, it's nice. a good one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot to be said there. Is there anything, what do we think about Roots batting and, and what can be done to really get him back on track? Because he's not doing as, as well as he should be, I would say. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm worried about Root. He's he's at, since the beginning of 2018 in home test, he's actually averaging less than Joss Butler, who is, of course, public no. enemy number one. Oh, that's class. Two Sorry, great stats in a row. That's a great <laughs> stat. Yeah, it is shocking, isn't it? I, I mean, I couldn't I couldn't believe it when I when I first heard that. It's truly shocking. That's why it's stuck in my mind. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm worried about Joe. There's a lot of talk about whether we should let him bat and leave the captaincy to someone else. But I like him as captain. I think he's a good captain. But he does 
he does seem to have an issue there. I'm not sure if relinquishing him of the captaincy would help that though. Yeah, I'm I'm on that. I saw I saw a piece saying that the captaincy is you know hindering his batting somewhat, but I don't think it would. If you just if if you suddenly like relieved him of that duty now, it would be a a bit weird, and then everyone would be triply focused on his batting because that's why he lost the captaincy. And yeah, I think he's a good captain, so stick with that. I just think he's in. The thing is with Root, right, he's never looking in horrible nick, is he? He's never, you know, nerdling runs about. He always looks pretty fluent. And then I think he got two or three really good deliveries this series. Um, the ball he got from Nassim Shah, I think, in England's first innings in the third test. It was unplayable. So Absolutely. There was a lot of that going on. He's He can't convert 50s into 100s for whatever reason. That seems to be something hanging over him. So I agree with Zach that I don't I don't think it's the captaincy that's an issue. I think maybe he's just in some really nasty form. But that's also now been two years. So is it form or is he is he just not able to make a score? I don't know. There's no unanswerable questions there, Root. It's worth noting that that start is home test and he did get a double hundred away in New Zealand over the winter. Good point. Mm. That was on a yeah. that was on a road. I, I heard so. I, I've seen someone rebuttal that. Um, but you know, a test double hundred, test double hundred. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna poo-poo that. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree, and I think it's one that we're gonna have to monitor over the, over the away tours because there isn't really, I think, between the three of us, we can't think of an easy solution. He's batting at four, which is his preferred position. He's captaining well. I think we can probably all agree. He captain, he was aggressive in over the summer. I love how he. He enforces the follow-on, I feel, now when he gets the opportunity when perhaps even previous England captains may have been more defensive. So I like the aggression he shows as captain. And yeah, I think it's going to be one of the cases where he might just have to play himself back into form and hopefully he can get a big score away. I think we're all going to be hoping for that. Um, do you want to have a look at the bowling? Uh, yeah, maybe, sure. Maybe, should we start with some spin? Zach, um, I hear you know Don Best pretty well uh, <laughs> on the pitch. Is it correct that he got you out once? He uh, Don Best did in fact get me out once. Yes, when we were playing away at Sidmouth. How 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 did he get you out? What was the mode of dismissal? Oh, bold. bold. Yeah, I, I think I I mean I don't know if it was a golden duck, but I definitely didn't score any runs. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he ran through our lower order. That's for sure. Um, he um, wasn't against Pakistan though, was he? So this is true. Yeah, I think I think Bess is the. We'll come on to, you know, waxing lyrical about Anderson later. But I think Bess is the most interesting um, bowler at that attack to talk about. We've spoken enough about Archer, but we will come on to him. Zach, we'll start with you, seeing as he bowled you through the gate. What do you think of him and what's his future in the England side going forward? Well, first of all, it's worth noting I'm a left-hander. So obviously off spinners to left-handers, he's always going to be better. (laughs) He's always going to have the upper hand. I think Don Bess's future is really interesting because... The other options at the moment, uh, well, Leach is obviously, of course, the main option. And I think he is a better spinner, personally. I, I mean, from listening to previous podcasts, I'm, I'm pretty sure both of you agree mm-hmm. uh, with this. But I think I understand why he's why Don Bess is in the team over him. Because Leach is, is 30. He's had troubles with health. We're not sure. I mean, I'm not sure how long Leach will keep going if he continues having problems with health and, and, and the like. And mm-hmm. Don Bess is 22, and he's he's made some serious progress, but I mean he's not he's not bowler team out at the moment, is he? he I mean the, this winter is going to be very interesting because we should be able to see the two of them potentially playing in the mm. same eleven and almost bowling together, but bowling against each other for that one spot. 
Mm. That's going to be a really interesting little uh, sort of narrative and narrative there when when we do uh, tour in the subcontinent. Glenn, what's what's your view on this on the spin situation? Poor Jack Leach has been in uh, a bubble doing keepy uppies in blue gloves for for 10 weeks and even when I think Paul Collingwood came onto field at one point because there were some injuries and poor Jack didn't even get a little run around um why didn't he get a bowl in I think in our opinion well in my opinion anyway uh, what do you think about this spinning situation I feel a bit frustrated I think number one you know I think Leach should have been playing county cricket if it was quite clear that he wasn't going to be playing for England yeah. he's wasted yeah. his summer is, it just feels a bit ridiculous, especially as a player who, you know, the reasons for England playing best is we're looking towards the future, right? And this is a discussion that I think we're going to have across the rest of this podcast. But especially in their spinning situation, I mean, I'm sure Somerset, as well as they're doing, they could have used him at their disposal over the last couple of games. Um, and best, you know, he bowled 21 overs um, in the final innings. We're looking to bowl Pakistan out and win the series, well, win the game, and then win the series 2-0 potentially. He's bowled 21 overs, um, four maidens, 54 runs and no wickets. And I think it's very telling that in the six overs that Joe Root bowled, he looked more threatening and he got a wicket. Mm. I mean, apart, I still think Joe Root is a part-time spinner and it shouldn't be the case that he he strikes when your actual number one spinner doesn't. And I just think, especially when we're going to be touring spin-friendly pitches in India um, and Sri Lanka, I think we really have to bring Leach in. Um, and in, in 2018, um, Leach was the leading wicket-taker for the series when England w- joined with Maureen Ali when we won away in Sri Lanka. So it's clear that he can do it in the county game. He can do it on the international scene. And accept this argument, which is look to the future, that aside, I think he should be playing, he should be England's number one spinner. Yeah, I think I'm there on that. When I see Leach Bar, I feel like he's got way more control over it than Best does. And the argument always has been, uh, I don't think you should pick a bowler depending on how many right or left-handers there are in a team. But Leach would have been taking it away from the right-handers and Best looked, Best would land it. The commentators were always talking about a specific spot and they were listening to Butler and Root on Stump Mike who were really trying to encourage him to push it out wide um, into the area and try and bowl the right-hander through the gate. And he'd hit that maybe two in 10 deliveries. Um, which just wasn't enough to really sustain any pressure. I'm just struggling to, to think why he wasn't even given a game at any point. Um, Zach, are you in on Leach as, as, as better than best? Would, would you have picked him for one of these tests this summer? Yeah, I, I mean, I would have definitely picked him for at least one of these tests, especially after I would have picked him for one of the tests in the West Indies series. Uh, especially, like, there was a lot of talk about the amount of right-handers in that West Indies team, and they could have easily used that as the reason. You know, because there's been a lot of talk about resting players and dropping players because you don't spinners don't really. I mean, I don't know. Spinners don't really need rest, it seems. <laughs> you know, a spinner can bowl and bowl and bowl and there's no problem there. But uh, so they could have used that as a reason to bring Leach in. And also they could they could easily rotate that they could have easily rotated the two of them. And it would have it would have made sense and it would have given both of them a chance to prove themselves. Yeah, I mean, I don't. They've just not learned anything there. They've learned that Bess is, you know, still learning, and that, you know, Leach can do ten keepy uppies pretty quickly. I don't. And we'll come on to what this summer, you know, meant and what it needed to mean for England. And maybe this was just never part of their plan to play Leach, and they're just all in on Bess. For me, it definitely suggests that they're all in on Bess if they only ever want to play one spinner, right? Because they surely would have given Leach a go. It's an interesting one. We've been sort of lacking a spinner since Graham Swan retired, um, or at least since Moeen 
you know, has had his moments in the past few years, um, struggling again today in the T20. Should we come on to the pace attack? Uh, mm-hmm. We can't ignore Jimmy Anderson's 600th test wicket, the first pace bowler uh, in test history to get that many wickets. Uh, an astounding feat. And I'm just going to start by saying it was something, you know, the shine was taken off ever so slightly and that he was he bowled one over more than Anil Kumble, who was the quickest to 600 wickets. And if those <laughs> catches weren't dropped, he would have been the quickest ever to 600 wickets. So it's pretty much pointless. I mean, that, that's my view anyway. Uh, Glenn, Jimmy, isn't he great? We love him. Uh, yeah, he's still got that fire, hasn't he? It's crazy. I didn't realise that he's 38. So he really is. So Read an article. Old. He's old. He's an old man. Get the pension in. Like, so... <laughs> He's saying, obviously, as he should be, that he wants to be playing in the in the 2020 2021 Ashes series or 2021 series, and he's going to be best. He's going to be nearly 40, if not 40, for part of that. So that is very old. Uh, I think it just goes down to Anderson and Broad are always going to be exceptional in English conditions. Like they are just the best in the world at doing that, and they should be. Um, and they are, you know, two of the best bowlers and most consistent bowlers England has ever, ever produced. Um, especially in tests and yeah it I think it just comes down to this to this balance between present and future and it's like if Anderson is bowling this well should we keep him in the team yes I don't really see the point in dropping him if he's bowling this well but does that mean we may struggle two years down the line especially in overseas games probably yes so it's a really tough one for the um, selectors to balance out but I mean you just cannot argue with 600 test rickets and he just looked, he, again, we're talking about control, especially in the context of the spinners. And he always bowls with control. He always is very consistent. In the Pakistan series, he's got 11 wickets um, at 23. So very tidy. He got his fifer. And yeah, it, it's a shame that those silly drops came into play. And then, as we mentioned earlier, that one from Broad, I think a dolly is, um, is fair. It was straight down his throat. I don't quite know how he threw it on the floor. Um, but that aside, I mean, he looks he looks almost back to his best. And um, yeah, he, he, he doesn't look 38. I can say that for sure. I feel like after the the second test, was it where he struggled a little bit and then the sort of there was nothing to talk about. So the media got on the Anderson retiring um, train yeah. for a couple of stops and quickly got off. He, he again has responded so well to you know a hint of media criticism much like broad did um after being dropped for the first test of the west indies series um that five in the first innings felt like such a bounce back zach what do you you know give me your general sort of congratulations jimmy on 600 and then looking at what's going to happen with him and broad i think we can come on to this debate of you know how england balance for the future now because th- this is such an important topic at the minute yeah i mean obviously an amazing achievement the first seam bowler to get to 600 test wickets is an amazing feat and the fact that like that there's any doubt that people talk about him in the greatest test 11 is absurd to me I think one of the funny things I saw in an interview with Jimmy was that he said that the Stuart Broad the Stuart Broad drop doesn't count as a drop because it actually didn't hit him on the hand it seemed like he was so annoyed that Stuart Broad had done so badly with it he didn't even touch his hand so it doesn't even count as a drop <laughs> that was something interesting I saw in an interview. I think there's some amazing stats around like Jimmy's career. He's he's taken 120 Test wickets since he, he since he became 35 at, at 21. Like that's that's amazing. 100 120 Test wickets at that age is just absurd. 
his his average has also improved as he's got older, which I find insane. And I saw a stat, but I can't quite remember the whole thing of it. So I'm going to half-ass through one. He's had it was on the drops. So I think he's had 90 drops um, in his Test career, which is more than like 60% of bowlers who have Test wickets. If you see where I'm coming from, that 90 wickets he's had dropped. It was a crazy moment in the game where catch was getting dropped everywhere. The broad one was insane. And then he just chucked the ball in anger and ran a bass out. I've never seen Jimmy Anderson. So he's a grumpy guy. He's <laughs> mad. He was like, do not look at me. Do not come near me. Um, I think when, when Burns dropped another one in the slips. So yeah, huge congratulations to him. His longevity in the game is unrivaled to, to do what he does at his age, bowling what he bowls. There was a really interesting bit of fallout after the test match. Um, a Jonathan Liu article at The Guardian uh, titled England's Wasted Summer. He goes on to talk about how it's the old broadcast show and England didn't really learn anything from this summer because they sort of reverted to the Broad-Anderson combination, which has worked and continues to work. And then that sort of brought the debate of whether, I think we spoke about this in one of the podcasts, Glenn, that we need to just, and I think I argued, we need to just enjoy what we have now. I remember the retirement talk, I think, in the West Indies series between Anderson and Broad. Uh, Stuart Broad on Twitter got a little bit angry at Jonathan Liu. He responded and started a bit of a spat. Um, you know, we'll come into Jonathan's article, um, you know, saying this and that was wasted. And Broad highlighted the the highlights in this series. You know, Butler's knock, Anderson 600. Uh, Glenn, I'll come to you first. What do we think about the whole future versus present thing? Broad clearly arguing that we need to enjoy what we've got now because Anderson and Broad are at the top of their game still so why keep looking to the future or do we need to to, you know stem their bowling to help others and are we going to be a bit lost in two years and they retire so many questions you know Glenn go ahead yeah there's a lot to unpick so um for people listening who haven't read the article which I I think all three of us really recommend because it raises these really interesting questions a very short extract reads the weirdness of this compressed summer rendered it ripe for experiment uh, experimentation for future proofing the attack into the sort of unit that one one day might bowl out teams away from home. Um, and he goes on to complain instead um, after losing the first test, um, we retreated, I quote, into the safe and familiar familiar embrace of their 85 mile an hour seamers. And as Dan mentioned, Broad and Anderson didn't take this uh, lying <laughs> down. So Jonathan Liu shared this on Twitter and his share got 500, around 519 likes. And then Stuart Broad directly responded, which you don't often see this interaction between journalists and players. So that's already an interesting angle. And he said, this is Stuart Broad's um, tweet. Bowler's historic milestones, Crawley's 267, um, Butler Man of the Series, Butler Woke's incredible match-winning partnership, Stokes' all-round ability, Sibley Monster Lock, and many more positives. Nah, in capitals, I'll find my other angle. This has... <laughs> This is 6.5K likes. And then Anderson jumped into the fray and responded, crying emoji, spot on, um, the, the weird um, OK emoji with 2.4K <laughs> likes. So if you're doing ratios, clearly, I think Broad and Anderson have struck a chime with fans where Jonathan didn't. But at the same time, I think all three of us, having read it at different times and separately, came to agree that it, it, it raised important questions. And this is the problem. Selectors and fans don't always want to hear these things. Like, it is simple to say, play your best team. Yes. But as we've already mentioned, in two years on a flat track, Broad and Anderson, unfortunately, won't be getting wickets in Australia. And I think that's probably a fact. I think we can all agree that they won't be nearly as effective. 
So we come to the to the main point, which is what could we have done differently to learn more? This is where I think I'm not too sure. Zach, I'd like to hear what you think about this, because I think we did rotate some of the bowlers. We gave Curran a chance. We're still working out what Archer does best at test level. And I think in his article, Jonathan Liu kind of simplified the Archer question. He said, we always need a plan for him. I'm paraphrasing here, but just give him the ball. And if he gets wickets, good, if not take him off. Is it that simple for a player who isn't that used to test cricket? I'm not sure. Um, so, Zach, do you think we should have done something different? Should we have experimented with more bowlers, um, given some more debuts? Or do you think we were right to win the series? As as Broad said in another comment, you know, we won three out of four tests that we played and we won both series. Surely that's a success. I think I think you're right. First and foremost, you have to win the series. It's almost like if we'd have been, say we'd have been 2-0 up in, the, in either series, in the third test, then you mm-hmm. then you rest them. Or if a player needs resting, then you rest them. You mm-hmm. have to win the series, especially if we're if we're thinking about this international test championship that we want yep. to be playing in this final at Lords next summer. If if all the tests <laughs> manage to be fit into this next year, which would be a, a lot of test cricket that we can all enjoy, if that is <laughs> to happen. But so we have to win the series first and foremost. And how are we going to win the series? We're going to play Broad and Anderson in you know in seem friendly conditions yep of course we are but i think there's also there's some i completely agree with some of what jonathan lou said about you know we didn't we haven't learned a lot about we haven't learned a lot about archer we would had one test and wasn't great so i think it's interesting i mean we're gonna have to see how they do but there's a lot of talk about building up to these ashes series and this five match india series but we aren't we do have a series against sri lanka which I mean, is a build-up to an India series, and it's a we're not we can't see how bowlers take wickets away from home when we're playing at home. We have to see how they take wickets away from home. So that series against Sri Lanka will be interesting to see how Wood does, how Archer does, whether Anderson goes. I mean, I'm sure Broad and Anderson will both want to go. I'm sure Broad will go, but whether Broad takes many wickets, whether yeah. Wokes can improve on his overseas average, which is well known to be terrible, but his home average is fantastic. There's, there's, yeah, I agree. There's so much to to pick out of that article, and I'm just going to come from the broad side of this, um, and I can totally see why he's angry at this because we need to. Oh, this is a dumb quote. We need to live in the now, man. We're constantly looking forward to series right why what's the point in playing a series now if you're looking forward to the next one and then when we're in the next one and we're looking forward to the next one and Stuart Broad who's bowling out of his skin at the minute must be like hold on man I'm playing some of the best cricket at the minute can we talk about what I'm doing right now and the same with Anderson who doesn't drop off from his quality is not getting the respect he perhaps feels he wants from from the media and from the article in particular but I think you both brought up interesting points that because of the whole bubble situation, the whole sort of weird nature of this test series, this was the time to try something. I'm going to totally contradict myself straight away because we're playing the test, but let's try something. Why not give Archer the new ball? Why not? What You know, just because Broad's had it his whole career doesn't mean Archer can't have it for a bit. And if he takes three for, we now know something new, right? It was an, it's an incredible debate, and you know I think I argued quite strongly um, during the West Indies series that we need to just enjoy what we have now with Broad and Anderson, and I still agree with that. I think that's where Broad's anger came from. Um, but yeah, we, we haven't learned a lot this series, have we? But do we need to learn things constantly, or can we just be happy that we've won two series, got some of those nice ICC points, and 
you know, sit third in the table, even though we've played eight more games than everybody else. I, I don't know. It, it, I can see both sides. Yeah, there's not an easy answer. Um, and just, just to read, a Broad replied three times, and this was his second reply. Um, another person said that we should be playing Jimmy and Broad as they're our best two bowlers at the minute. And Broad said, very good point, well made. We have to remember a lot of these articles are clickbait. Desperation for attention rather than writing good pieces. Harsh. In That's England... Harsh. We seem obsessed, and this is the point, right? In England, we seem obsessed by the next chapter instead of enjoying the successful role. Like, I don't disagree with that. Yeah. And if I was Brody, I'd be annoyed too. And it is interesting how I think Jonathan Liu did kind of, um, I don't I don't know if called him out is the right term, but he did say that England were roasted by Broad's multi-pronged PR assault, which <laughs> we, I think, which is, it's, it's well written, isn't it? But I thought that was a good thing. I liked seeing the passion from Broad. Agreed. So I kind of agree with everyone here. Yeah. And it's a really, really tough one. And I think I think the three of us don't necessarily have a clear answer. Jonathan Liu called it a hissy fit, which I think I totally disagree with because it was so refreshing to see what he did. And I think a couple of people in the comments were saying that. But yeah, I think Broad hit the nose, uh, uh, the the nail on the head is what I'm after. The, why are we constantly looking to 2021-22 Ashes? Because what's the point of the rest of the cricket for now then, you know? Uh, Zach, what, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's actually a bit disrespectful to the West Indies of Pakistan who've come over. Right. They've, they've saved our mm. summer and we're, we're thinking about these these series like they don't matter. They're just they're just building for, you know, because India and Australia are the only two teams that matter. I and agree. Pakistan are a very good test team. They've got a lot of exciting young talent, which I'm sure we're going to get on to and they've got some interesting characters as well but so it's a bit I feel like it's a bit disrespectful saying that this series doesn't it doesn't really matter we're only we're using it as a stepping stone it's like a it's like a friendly a preseason mm. friendly in football almost yeah I agree with that I totally agree with that it, it's 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 so strange I think we all agree with half of Broad's argument and half of half of Jonathan Liu's argument so but it was so interesting like Glenn said to see a cricketer directly respond to a media piece I feel like Broad mm. finally out of the bubble had a had a couple of tinnies down him and got himself on Twitter and was just just, just a bit you know come on man I bowled really well, um really interesting stuff and we'll see how that kind of carries on um that will do for England I think Let, let's have yeah. a little look at Pakistan um Zach I'll come to you first what did you like about this Pakistan side you know what can they take from this series you know if, if it's their, what's their learning curve from this so I think it's gonna be really interesting to see how this Pakistan side develop and how much time they get to spend together because they've They've recently restructured their domestic game, so it's no longer 18 teams like we have here. They've reduced it to six teams because the quality just wasn't wow. very good, basically. Yeah. And that they've just tried to do this to improve the quality. And it, I mean, we can't tell whether it's worked yet, but this, they've got some very young, exciting talent. Of course, they've got a pace bowling factory that no one understands where it's coming from. They've always seemed to <laughs> got, you know... The, the latest 18-year-old who will at one day bowl the, the next show, will be the next show of Akhtar bowling 100 miles an hour. But yeah, but with the uh, Rizwan, like you said, I think he's gone to my top five favourite cricketers in the world in yes, this series. I'm on I that. think he's, I mean, he's up there with Chris Wokes for me. He's, <laughs> he's so much fun. He seems like he's just always talking and like always, there was such a buzz when Pakistan were bowling Especially, especially in those first in those first two tests when we were struggling with the bat. In the in the third test, obviously we didn't really struggle, so it was a bit harder to see. There was such a buzz around the field, and I felt like Rizwan was such an important part of that. I think it's interesting to note that he was first brought into the team as a batsman when uh, Safras was still in the team. So it's and that he's now become the keeper because Safras has lost the captaincy and has dropped out of the team, but still in the squad. But it's interesting that he's now 
he's almost, I would say, one of the top three players in that team. He's so cemented in there. Yeah, his batting was fantastic and his glove work was even better. And he's one of those keepers that is really there for his wicket keeping. And I think his batting came as perhaps a shock to um, fans and pundits, maybe less to himself. But I think no one was quite expecting the, the fluency and the, the speed and the counter-attacking batting that he brought to, to Pakistan's team. Um, Glenn, what do you think of... Because um, you spoke a bit about Azhar Ali's captaincy in the first test, how he sort of couldn't bowl England out in that fourth innings. How about that knock? 141 not out. Um, was about to come out to bat again in, in, to open uh, their second innings, but the, the light stopped that. Did that save his captaincy, his place in the team, or was that just a, a good captain doing a good captain's knock while, while the rest of the team sort of fell around him a little bit? Yeah, I think it was both. I think that he did, he did rescue um, his summer, and we spoke at length in the last podcast about his pretty, pretty poor record um, away from home batting it's been pretty disappointing so for him to get that huge knock and not out I mean that really um, speaks volumes there you know he was there for over 400 minutes so he got his head down strike rate wasn't even bad in that innings it was it was 51 so it wasn't you know a really slow scoring innings he was he was making things tick and I love that just looking at the bigger picture I guess today is the 10th anniversary of um, of uh, the corruption proceedings being initiated against Pakistan by the ICC um, obviously, we can all remember the the match fixing, the, the deliberate overstepping, which is very unfortunate because as it came to light, we heard that a lot, a couple of senior players had pressured um, some of the younger players to take part in this. So that kind of whole messy chapter, much like Australia's more recent one with the sandpaper, I feel like that is long behind them now. This is a really fun, exciting team. They're a very likable team. I think, as you mentioned, there's loads of characters in there. I love Rizwan. Babar Azam is one of the classiest players in world cricket. I think Somerset been so grateful to have him play for us um, recently. And there was a lot to like. I loved Yasir. Uh, he didn't quite make it work as much in the third test, but in the first game, he, he bowled some beautiful, um, beautiful stuff. And yeah, they had a real mixed bag. And I like they had variation with the ball. Like there was a lot of different... Um, a lot of different styles with their quicks. They never felt one track. There was always diversity in there. I think I was just a bit disappointed, perhaps, that Masood didn't um, couldn't build on his big score in the first innings of the summer for him in England. That big 140 didn't really get a score after that. But overall, I think they were a really exciting, um, passionate team. And I think they brought a lot, to, much like West Indies, they brought a, a real bit of sunshine to England this summer, which has been really difficult across the globe. So massive thank you to Pakistan for, for joining us. Yeah, definitely. I think as soon as we saw their bowling attack in that first test, we thought this is going to be a, a great series. Nassim Shah um, interested me because I don't think his figures will quite you know, explain how well he bowled in periods of this series. He'd go really quiet, and then the ball he bowled to Root in, in the first innings of the third test just came out of nothing. And he's only young, and he's very exciting. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing more of him. Yasser Shah is always great. He's energetic. I love his appeals for LBW. I, why wouldn't you appeal that hard? Um, it's like Imran to here, but he doesn't do the whole running thing afterward, which, which really winds me up. And yeah, they're just a really fun team at the minute. And what I find interesting about Babar Azam is, I mean... He saw he had a goodish series. He didn't get the big score, but you know, 63 in the second innings, just sort of without even blinking. You're like, oh, he's near 40, he's near 50 now. He really is just quality, isn't he? Um, I found it interesting. He's captain the T20 side. I didn't know didn't know that was his role there. Um, so we'll, we'll talk more about that in the next podcast. But yeah, 
big fan of what Pakistan brought to this series. Their batting looks suspect in places, but you know, there's there's lots to be excited about there. And you know, if there's a learning curve for them, um, it's that they've got you know the outline of a really good team there. Zach, anything anything more to say on Pakistan? Yeah, I mean, I think, like we've said, that the bowling attack was so balanced. I think one of my favourite things about this team, though, was that they had three proper tail-enders. Yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed their tail. It, it's, so, it's kind of, I mean, obviously, it's nice as an England fan when we have a top-order collapse and we can rely on the fact that our number, well, our number eight can properly bat, our number nine can bat a bit. Whereas Pakistan, it was, you get Rizwan out, You've got Yasir Shah, who can hit a long ball for a little yeah. bit, but he's not going to be there for very long. And then you've got three proper tail-enders. Some of Michael Vaughan's descriptions of them, he described them as rabbits in headlights, and it was some of his descriptions of them were just fantastic on TMS. It's so true. I don't think there's a test team out there at the minute that has a true tail anymore. I think, every, you know, they all kind of, England especially, do it lean to that at least nine being able to hold the bat. Pakistan really went, okay, cool, doesn't matter. These ball- I think Abbas is so good at bowling that his batting doesn't matter, does it? The fact that Shaheen comes in at nine and you watch him come in at nine and you're thinking, <laughs> okay, he's coming in at nine. He must at least be able to, you know. But it's almost like he can barely hold a bat. But no discredit to them. The fact that Shaheen almost seems like a senior figure in that bowling attack at the age of 20 is unbelievable. And I also think mm-hmm. an interesting point is that Babar Azam is only 25. People are talking about him like he's in his peak. And mm. there's a lot of talk about whether he's in this this big four or big five with Root, Williamson, Coley and uh, Smith, Smith, of course. But I think he's definitely in there. And definitely for the future will easily be, if not the best bat, best test batsman or best all-round batsman in the world, one of for, a long, for at least five, ten years to come. Yeah, yeah. it's a shame he didn't get that big knock, but... I totally agree. The easy which you got to sort of 50 and 60 was, was unbelievable. Should we look forward for the England test side? What have we got coming up next? I don't actually know. Sri Lanka and India, right? But is this going ahead? Is it is it postponed? What's happening? So the idea at the moment is that we play the two we play the two tests that were meant to be in March in Sri Lanka in January, just before we go for a mammoth tour of India where we have tests odis t20s i feel like we'll be there as long as i don't know about you but for me this winter it felt like we were in south africa for about two years <laughs> with everything and i feel like this winter it's going to be the same with india but there's talk about them getting rid of some of the odis and doing something different with the t20s because of the having to condense it in with um with the sri lanka series well, yeah, hopefully, um, hopefully it can go, will go ahead safely. I mean, especially for the players home and away. And it's always it's always rough not playing in front of fans. I mean, Paul Crawley getting that score in front of you know the groundsman and his dog is a bit unfortunate. <laughs> oh, can but, we talk um, about that dog briefly? I think he had accreditation. Did you see a little picture? Yeah. And it's a dog on it. I oh. think that's really the highlight of like you know the rained out day four or whatever it was in that test. Yeah, it was one of my um, one of my highlights of the summer. That's for sure. <laughs> Um, just before we come to Tweet of the Week, because I've got a good one for us, um, do we just um, maybe start with you, Zach? Um, your first 11, just say for the first test, um, you know, conditions permitting in Sri Lanka. Um, I I would keep it, okay, I personally would keep it pretty much the same and bring in Leach for Bess. Uh, and then we're talking uh, Stokes for Pope, in my opinion. Zach, is there any other changes you'd be making? Well, I mean, if we're talking, if we're talking Sri Lanka, I think, I mean, I know this is the Chris Wokes podcast, but don't say I it, think, Zach. Otherwise, I mean, you're not coming back on. Okay. Off. 
Chris Wokes can stay, but either Broad <laughs> yeah. or Anderson, I mean, we're not going to play Broad, Anderson and Wokes in a test in the subcontinent, are we? We, I think last time we played Sri Lanka, they played two seamers. So I think it would be that we would we will probably play two or three maybe, but obviously, and then Stokes, of course. But we're, we're not going to play more than three seamers. And then we need at least two spinners. The issue with it, the last time we were there, we played three spinners, but one of them was Mo and Ali, who at that time could bat. So I think what that will definitely, I think it will be, I think it'll be Bess and Leach, one of Broad and Anderson, Wokes. Oh, I'm running out of room here. I think. <laughs> uh, well, I think we've got the extra bowler though because we're not playing yeah. Pope, Stokes and yeah, Crawley. We've got, yeah, we've got an extra bowler there. So and then Archer and Wood being rotated because uh, pace in those conditions works better than swing. So and then with the top, with the um, if if Pope's still injured, then yeah, I completely agree with Burns, Sibley, you know, the 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 top six that we've agreed on. Yeah, I think I'm there as well. I think it's given the England selectors less of a headache with Pope's injury actually, because I don't think you drop him. You now can't drop Crawley, who was the one who would have been dropped not for this knock for Stokes coming back in. So I think what would have happened if Pope was fit is that they'd have slotted Stokes in at five. Pope down to six, Butler seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. You four bowlers then, and Stokes. I think with Pope not available, they're going to play that fifth bowler, like you said. I'm going to chuck um, Adil Rashid's name back into the mix. There was a little bit of uh, chatter around him coming back in. I see Zach wincing at me there. Um, there was a bit of chatter about him coming back into the team. Ed Smith hasn't ruled his selection out, even though he's playing no white ball cricket. Uh, sorry, no red ball cricket for Yorkshire at the minute. Um, but he's a really good spinner and, and the lack of Moeen or will Moeen travel? I'm going to say no. Um, so I think Rashid will be on the tour at least. So you might get a, a pick. So I'm going to say that top six have all agreed on. There's there's a nice consistency with the batting lineup there. One of Order Anderson, Leach, Bess, Curran, bit of left arm. He's useful down there, a bit like Chaminda Vass, you know, you know, keeping it low, bowling it in the stumps. I've dropped Chris Wokes, so I'm going to have to <laughs> Chris Wokes. But Curran's going to be on this tour. Rashid's going to be on this tour. Wooden Archer will be there. There's such a wealth of bowling, isn't there? So, I don't know. Wokes, Bess, Leach, Anderson, Archer? That's, not, that's just random. Yeah. <laughs> um, wins to me, Zach, uh, Zach. Rashid, yay or nay? I mean, I love Rashid, and he's a fantastic spinner, but he hasn't played a first-class game for Yorkshire since 2017. And yeah, but he played a test in 2018. It's good enough for me. <laughs> but yeah, that's the thing. And he he has played he has played test matches. He has bowled, but he has got a severe shoulder problem that stopped him bowling for lots of the World Cup, and then has pretty much put him out of action. Apart from well, in recent times since then, get him on the plane. For me, he's on the plane. Glenn is is Moeen in your in your squad? Because I don't think it's hard for us to pick a bowling attack for a game. Let, let's talk about the squad that's travelling. Will Moeen be there? Oh, I like the squad question. That's a, that's a better way of phrasing it. No, I don't think Moeen should be there. Uh, he, he doesn't, he, you know, we, we've discussed in the in the Island um, podcast, if you, if you haven't listened to that, please do. Uh, we just, <laughs> we discussed his, um, how he's fallen out of love with the game and that his technique has kind of dropped by the wayside and how, you know, the second you put him in county cricket, he's, you know, he's doing absolute bits. But then the second he's back in the test team, he's like a different player. I don't think it's fair to him um, unless he really wants to be there. And, you know, something dramatic happens in the next two months. I don't see a reason why he'd be on the plane. Rashid, 
I'm going to agree. Well, I kind of agree with you both. I like the idea <laughs> of, you know, I love leg spin. I love the idea of bringing a leggy over. I don't think it's a bad shout. You know, he's he's played 19 tests. He has got 60 test wickets and, and a fifer, but he never he's never convinced me. We've talked about control. I think that's probably been a theme over the last hour. Like, I don't think he's really shown that that consistency in, in the test arena. Uh, you know, whether he wants to travel, perhaps it's a good shout to have that option. Then you've got a left armor, an offie, and a leggy in very spin friendly conditions. But mm, I would I would say possible. I would say it's it's it's, it's definitely not a bad idea. I can't wait for that tour because it's such a strange time when England goes to Sri Lanka trying to play loads of spinners, isn't it? I, just, I don't really know what they're going to do still, even after all this discussion of many players. Zach, any more to add to the Sri Lanka tour? Yeah, I think I think, I think for me, Rashid makes the squad. That's we can nice agree on that. But one of the things about the, uh, going back to Moeen and him struggling is he's also not been playing Red Bull cricket this year for Worcestershire. That's a great um, point. Yeah, which if he really wants to get back into the test, which, I mean, none of us are really sure he does mm. want to get back into the test team, then he needs to be playing Red Bull cricket and he needs to be taking wickets. But I mean, I would say that this summer hasn't been a summer for spinners in in Red Bull cricket, as most games that have actually had results have been done over two days. Yeah, exactly. There's no... I, I was at Hampshire, Sussex, and I think I saw... Uh, I did see Mason Crane bowl. Do you remember him? He's got a test cap somehow. <laughs> oh, just, like, oh, no. Latsiest hove wicket, twiddling his arms in there. And yeah, you know, no spinners are shining for England at the minute. We've got Bess and Leach uh, locked in. I'll be surprised if you only take two. And then Roots bowling. So maybe they can use something with mm. Roots spin, which I think is more is more useful than part-time but not full time, so maybe he's you know a 25-hour contracted worker. I don't I don't quite know <laughs> where he is in that setup. Before we go to Sweet of the Week, then can we talk about Dom Sibley's bowling really quick? Is he an option in Sri Lanka? <laughs> I think the one thing we can all agree on, um, and this was the this was the wonderful ending to Jonathan Lewis' controversial article. Um, he said, "Can Chris Wokes lead an attack? Can Archer take the new ball? Can Wood get through back-to-back tests?" Is Leach still a viable option? And can Sibley be their third spinner on the subcontinent? Alas, as England go into an uncertain winter, they only have one of the answers. And I think, unfortunately, the answer is, yeah, no, Sibley can't ball. I was, I was, I, with the time difference, it's really hard to catch big series, big parts of the test with work, etc. in the morning. But I was unfortunate enough to be sat in the garden watching him um, throw down his nine ball over, which was really quite rough. Yeah, there's no excuse for that, unfortunately, at test level. And it just brought the whole team down. I know, I don't know. It's not an issue with him personally. Like, if he's given the ball by the captain, give it a crack. But should he have been given the ball? I don't know what he was doing in the nets. He must have been twirling some absolute beauties in the nets because <laughs> it was rough. <laughs> yeah, do you reckon he's ripped one past Joe Root's edge once or something? And he went, right, it, Sibbers, get yourself on, lad. <laughs> on Brian Lara's cricket 2011, maybe. Yeah. I, I think my favourite part of it was Joss Butler struggling to keep a straight face Yeah. after the first ball. And the fact that he bowled no balls as a oh. spinner. Oh, they were <laughs> wides. Actual wides and no balls. It was horrible. Then um, what's the tweet of the week? And uh, we'll wrap this one up. All right, this is this is a good one. It's on the ICC, so so quality um, oh, blue tick yeah. blue tick content only today. <laughs> this is uh, Kevin O'Brien, as I'm sure we've all seen um, in yesterday's intra uh, provincial series match on Thursday. 82 runs in 37 balls. A nice little green um, mark next to it. 
um, eight sixes, and the most important part, complete with photos, broke his own car window with a six. So for <laughs> anyone who didn't know, um, all three of us caught this. It is all over Twitter. Um, Kevin O'Brien, I'm just looking at the coverage right now. He smashed, he absolutely creamed a six um, over Cow Corner. Perfect for this podcast. Hey. Unfortunately, Unfortunately for him, he had parked in Cow Corner, which is never recommended <laughs> at, at any level of the game. And it went through his own car front windshield. So he demolished his own car. <laughs> that's amazing. Why are they putting the, the players' parking area at Cow Corner? That's that's a disgrace. Um, does that not remind you of when Ian Smith, the New Zealand commentator, was commentating on a, a New Zealand uh, county game and one of the players hit his car window? I mean, quality, isn't it? Poor old oh, Kevin. Wonderful. That's an expensive day at the cricket, but maybe that maybe that 82 will help him out. Um, <laughs> guys, I think that's about it. It's been a cracking podcast. Zach, thank you so much for joining us um, as Northern Correspondent, uh, who can see Headingley out the window, which is huge. I'm now back in Birmingham, so I'm close-ish to Edgebaston. Glenn, you're still, you know, 5,000 miles. miles. Okay, great. One, <laughs> you'll be closer to a ground. Um, yeah, Zach, thank you so much. Uh, Glenn, thank you as always. Um, it's been a great podcast. We'll be back with a review of the Pakistan 2020 series uh, sometime next week. Uh, until then, thank you so much, this is Cal Corner, and we'll see you next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.